Can I say we'll give it up? I'm sitting here with Brant Gasparic, the head distiller of Santan Brewing Company, and Bradford Ferris, the general manager of the Womack. And we're here to talk about the awesome uh, spirits that Santan is doing. We're going to talk about process. We're going to talk about the different things that they're that they're releasing and, and sharing with the world. And I happen to be a, a, a big fan. But I, I'm curious to uh, just let's go back a little bit. And Brant, I'd love to hear kind of how you got to this point as a head distiller. I know that you have a history as, a, as being a chef. Um, so maybe just a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, how you got into food, and then how you transitioned to this role. All right. Well, uh, I grew up in the Phoenix metropolitan area. I, you know, when I was little, Glendale. High school era was uh, Tempe. Uh, that's where I met uh, the owner of Santan Brewing Company. Uh, Anthony Konecchia was uh, back when I was just out of high school. Uh, he went to the same high school as I am, and we just started hanging out in the same crowd. And... Uh, we all liked beer at that point in time, and we're actually uh, home brewing at our friend's house because we couldn't buy beer, but we could buy all the ingredients, <laughs> ingredients. to make beer. And what was the, well, just quick, like, what, what's, the, what's the year on this? Like, what, uh, what, We're talking 94, 95. 94, 95. Okay. So, right. long time ago. So, you're brewing, you're, you're, you're already interested in that process. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And at that time, I'd already been, you know... Worked my way through Jack in a Box and the Olive Garden and uh, a couple other places. And, all the staples. Uh, all the staples. <laughs> and then and then uh, really locked down at the Rainforest Cafe for a good 10 years almost. Oh, yeah. And uh, was getting paid ridiculous amounts of money to, you know, have a fairly easy job at that point in time as, a, as a cook anyway. As a cook, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is normally a pretty stressful, hard job. So you you decided kind of early on that, that the college thing or or a culinary school wasn't wasn't in the cards. Um, well, the price was just yeah. astronomical. It's like yeah. it's silly. It was it's always been silly to pay that much money to go. Yeah. To that sort of school, it's like a lot of that stuff you you're gonna learn in the kitchen, right? And uh, you can go to MCC and take classes on business and, you know, how to run a restaurant. You don't have to pay $200,000 to go to, you know, some professional culinary Cordon school. Cordon Bleu or whatever. Yeah, Cordon Bleu or yeah, whatever. Yeah, huh. So you kind of just learned on the job. And, yeah, and it was a passion or, you know, because I worked in restaurants or whatever. Yeah, in high school, but I never felt like, oh, man, I need to be in the kitchen. Like, what was the thing that really drew you to that experience well really it was the money the, the money the partying the hours you know it's right. like right you get off work at midnight and you go and you party until three o'clock in the morning and yeah. uh you wake up at noon the next day and do it all over again that sounds was, a that lot like my that, life <laughs> that, that was that's the restaurant life i mean right, right, right. for a lot of people right especially back in that era right <laughs> yeah know? yeah okay. So, okay, uh, so after that experience, after Rainforest Cafe, sounds that's, like that was the big, that's where, that was the that's, big moment. That's where uh, Anthony approached me, like, with his Santan idea. Wow. And he's uh, actually wanted me to be the chef at that point in time. And I'm like, yeah, I got a really cush job. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll come help you however I can, whenever I can. And I did. I would go down there, and I uh, 
helped build kitchen equipment and uh, helped write a menu and all this good stuff. And then uh, a week before opening, he fired the guy that was going to be the chef and said, Brant, I need you. Yeah. And I said, fine. Um, <laughs> fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, and it was a lot of work. Obviously, opening a restaurant always is. Can uh, can you talk t- uh, to... Okay, so I moved here in 2003. So what year is this? Uh, 2007, we opened Santan. You opened Santan. Yes. So I remember coming to this area, and really it was four peaks or nothing, right? Yeah. There wasn't a lot of yeah. other local breweries no, happening. No, and fortunately I lived across the street from Four Peaks while Anthony was the brewer at Four Peaks. I see, yeah. So uh, that was five years before we yeah. opened Santan. And I feel like I heard kind of just throughout the years that a lot of a lot of the Santan employees did kind of get some uh, on-the-ground uh, experience through Four Peaks. Is that is that true? Um, there are several people that have come from Four Peaks. Uh, yeah. And just like now, there are a dozen breweries in Arizona that have old Santan brewers. I mean, oh, no kidding? Yeah, that's that's the way that's the way it's, it's worked out. And it's like we're we're a big family because we've all come from, yeah, you know, the same base, three, four breweries. And and, you know, I don't mean to ask an incriminating question, but is it all love? You know what I'm saying? Um, for the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, there's definitely the competition on the shelves. I mean, yeah. we don't right. want to try and take each other's spots. We're always, you know, looking to take uh, Coors's spots right. and Budweiser's spots. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we want to take a little piece out of the big guy. We're not trying to right. beat on each other so much. Right. But the competition's still there. Yeah. And... Um, so this is you said 2007. Yes, Santan starts that's with the brew pub, the brew in, pub in downtown Chandler. Chandler. Yeah. yeah, which is awesome. I, I've played music there a number of times. I've had a bunch of beers there a number of times. It's it's a great spot. Always fun. Always great beers. And and now we have these great spirits. When did you move from in the kitchen to distilling? Um, well, I had a little uh, hiatus from Arizona and Santan, where I actually went up to Seattle for a while to mm-hmm. actually try and uh, do more fine dining, chef work, and whatnot. Um, was there for you know, about six years and ended up coming back south because all my family's here. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to a Strong Bear Festival and was talking to Anthony, and he asked me what I was doing. And I'm like, well, right now I'm kind of on a little sabbatical yeah and uh planning on moving to san diego to get another chef job he's like you don't sound very excited about that and i'm like (laughs) well you know it's kitchen work and it's Mm -hmm. the kitchen i'm looking at's a really big kitchen Mm. (laughs) so i I wasn't super excited about it at that time like it i'd kind of lost its luster for me Mm. a little bit i'm Mm -hmm. getting older the partying wasn't so Mm -hmm. so much part of my life anymore (laughs) right right right. so um yeah, I wasn't that excited about it. That's why I was kind of on this hiatus. I was looking at other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, how would you feel about learning how to distill with me? And I was like, sounds like a great idea. Cool. Um, I understand the basics of brewing. I understand the basics of flavors. You know, right. and it's like they pretty much go hand in hand. Yeah. So it's just like taking brewing to the next level. D- did your culinary experience inform your brewing or distilling experience? Um. In my, like, noticing off flavors, off mm. smells, 
Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Like you just know when something doesn't smell right because you've hmm. smelt it enough times. Hmm. You know. It's, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. You're kind of you're kind of uh, you're learned to smell things that aren't smelling right. You yeah. Know? I mean, exactly. it's it's, you're, an, you're, it's an alert. It's a red flag, and mm, you should yeah. be checking out why that's why that's the case. So he's <laughs> yeah. clearly not going to be able to ignore that. That's right. just his spidey sense is going. Oh, right. Just, yeah. You, right. You're just looking for flaws. I mean, that's yeah, how you right. are in the culinary world too. It's uh-huh. like, what is wrong with this dish? Huh. Oh, there's a pinch too much freaking rosemary in there, and it just ruins the whole thing. Huh. Yeah. Bradford, um, hit me. Origin story. Go. Origin story. Um, grew up in Chicago. Started bartending in 1989 on uh, Russian Division. Shout out. Uh, yeah, shout out. Um, it's, 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 are they uh, still around? Uh, the bars that I was at are no longer around. So um, it was Eddie Rockets and Poets were the place that I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working door sort of in the summers between school and then uh, hit 21. They're like, we need somebody behind the bar. Start learning. So it was learn on the fly. It was very uh, high volume, high pace, clubby kind of stuff. Um, and what part of Chicago are these are these spots? Uh, this is downtown. Russian Division is very much the tourist area of gotcha. Chicago. It's it's you know they used to block off the streets and uh, hmm. you know I don't know if uh, was the movie about last night. You know Mothers was on that street, so it just had a lot of lot of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, then I kept bartending. I kept you know just enjoying it. Um, and uh, then I kind of moved sort of up, up the ladder, sort of doing uh, more local stuff than restaurants. Uh, then eventually, you know, went to Europe and did some there, then made the move to California. So I went to uh, move to Oakland and San Francisco because I really wanted to up the wine game. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I went sort of fine dining route there. Uh, and then while I was there, um, the sort of cocktail renaissance begins to take off in the early aughts. It's sort mm-hmm. of New York and San Francisco, a little bit of Chicago sprinkled in there. All these bartenders talking about this new newfound uh, literature and history. And, uh, you know, all these bartenders start to take this keen interest in, like, natural flavors and mm-hmm. making your own bitters, bitters and your right. own infusions, you know? Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much about... Um, what do you call them? the flavor codes or the synthetics for the flavors that they want? They wanted to go away from that. They wanted to kind of get back to like, you know, natural ingredients in, mm-hmm. in your in your cocktails. And uh, they had found all these old recipe books from the 1800s and pre-prohibition. So it all starts to come back. And um, I mean, I remember when it first flashed on my radar. Um, you know, I was doing the wine thing and fine dining, and someone said, "Oh, uh, we're going to go out." Like you know, Brand said, "We all go out after work." Mm-hmm. And um, uh, one of my colleagues said, oh, no, I'm going home to make some bitters. And I said, uh, what do you mean you're going home to make bitters? Like, who, who the does hell that? makes bitters? Yeah, like... Uh, uh, I know people. Right, right? Yeah, it's like we all do now. But uh, it, it, was, it was just it's sort of a... The light bulb went on there. I was like, something's sort of going on here, so... Can I pause for a second? Do you yeah. think that the that kind of cocktail um, dist- uh, spirits... Uh, revitalization did that did that coincide with the kind of microbrew boom or was it a little bit delayed right because i would put i would put like you know obviously growing up in massachusetts you had you had sam adams you had harpoon um you had some um beers out of uh, vermont that were starting to kill it wasn't until i came out here 2003 
I got hip to like Stone and Rogue and a lot of the great breweries out of Colorado. Um, it sounds like um, that that spirit game kind of came into its own a little bit later than that. Are those two things related? Do you think, or 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 what was the reason why they weren't related? I think they're sort of parallel. If you were to ask me, if I were to guess, you know. Um, Craft beer is going on in, you know, the early 90s, you right. know. Um, uh, you know, it becomes more and more robust as the sort of decade moves along into the aughts. But mm. uh, cocktails are not really on the scene yet, not, mm-hmm. not to the extent they are now, now. especially. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, much more literature came out. You know, a thing called the Internet came out. And all of a sudden, mm. like, this information was spreading like wildfire. So um, mm. we were all able to share much more uh, knowledge, much more experience. Mm. Uh, more things are being uh, dug up and found in old books and mm. uh, old recipes. And, you know, all of a sudden mm. it was just, it was a, it was, it was something people were coveted. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they were searching for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it it sort of takes form in the early aughts as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. You know mm-hmm. I mean? I, I suppose there's some things like when people were doing the fresh grapefruit juice for, uh, you know, the Greyhounds or whatever. That mm-hmm. was sort of a big thing. Everybody sort of wanted that, you know, mm-hmm. the fresh juices. Like mm-hmm. a lot of bars were just using sweet and sour mix, you mm-hmm. know, or right off the guns or out of a bottle or whatever. Right. right. And then right. people started going, you know, it tastes a lot better with fresh grapefruit and right. like real lime, you know? Right. So, um, Definitely. Um, and it all became, you know, Wow, these cocktails actually used to be made like this. So why mm. the hell aren't we doing that now? You right. Know? Um, and you know, you're coming out of an era that is, you know, the '80s and early '90s are, are very vodka-driven. You know, it goes mm. everything moves away from the brown spirits mm. in the '80s and goes towards the, you know, the absolute bottle. Remember the absolute right. bottle, the yeah. sensation that that was, the clean, yeah. uh, low calorie. Even though that's sort of impossible, but right. uh, it was this idea of a light way of drinking, uh-huh. you know? And, and uh, it doesn't it, smell. And it doesn't smell, right? <laughs> doesn't smell, yeah, for, 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 for many, many no, reasons. Yeah. Multiple reasons. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, but it sounds like, as you say, it's a parallel experience. Brewers were saying, well, I don't want to fucking drink Bud Light or whatever. Like, pick your shitty lager. Um, they didn't want to drink, you know, necessarily pick your big... Uh, brown spirits, you know, like the, 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 whatever the, the beams and the, and the jacks, like we can, we can fine tune this and make it a little bit more of an elevated experience. Yeah. I I certainly think there's a, the the consciousness becomes aware, like I want a, a, you know, a better product, a more artisanal Mm. product, you Mm -hmm. know, or something where I know where it's coming from, you know? I mean, if you think about it, you know, it can all go with like organic food and your farm. I was just going to say farm to table. Yeah, farm to table. Like, you know, I, you know, people had a yearning to get back to your neighbor experience. You Mm -hmm. know, I go to my butcher, I go to my baker, I go to my farm and I get my local goods there, you know, my fruit, my, Mm -hmm. you know, tomatoes and vegetables or whatever. So, um, I think that has a lot to do with it. That sort mm. of desire and yearning amongst the public was already starting to take motion, and it mm. sort of was going in all directions at mm-hmm. that time. You glossed over you glossed over some time in Europe, and I I need to know what we're talking about. What we're talking about? Well, you said you spent some time in Europe doing some stuff, and that you glossed over this experience. I just want to know a little bit more about that particular experience. Uh, well, it was a good time to go. I. You know, took German in school, so it was a good time to do it. I had a little bit of a combo job, uh, you know, school opportunity. So I took this that. This college? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also was able to do some bar work over there as well. So, um, you know, 
learning about German beer in that process mm. and, and uh, you know, Belgian beer was, mm-hmm. was, was wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. at the time it was like, we weren't really able to learn that over here right. as much. You know, you really had to be there. Well, so. and we didn't really have any access to it over here. Yeah, not a lot, for no. sure. Certainly you, the education. You right. Know. You'd get a couple German beer, like Beck's, you know, or whatever, Heineken, you know, and you're like, oh, this is exotic. Until you go over there and you realize every town has their own beer. Sure. And they're all slamming. Right, right. You know? Very, very regional, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, what, and then okay. you see in the States start to move. Right. Much more regional, much more local, much right. more... You know, provincial, you know, right. it's like uh, I want my beer to be from Fort Collins because right. I live in Fort Collins and right. this is my brewery and I can right. walk down there and get a growler full, you right. know. Um, I don't have to wonder how long it's been on the truck or how much heat it's uh, absorbed or what kind of condition it's going to be in. Right. I mean, you even saw some of the, remember the, uh, the Coors Light had a can that told you it was uh, uh-huh. fresh yeah. and all that. If, you know, the, if like, the mountains are blue or yeah, whatever, right. it's cold enough to drink. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's fuck? just like, uh, well, you know, lagers can't, can't handle heat, you know, right. it ruins them. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff was gimmicky mm-hmm. when I could just go and know that this batch of brew was right. brewed today, brewed, you know, this week or whatever. And brewed right here. Right. And the pipe goes here and it, you know, and, and then it comes into my glass. Yeah. Like it's that yeah. local. Although you could kind of get that experience in Mexico in the 90s when you'd go down to the... Absolutely. Uh, Dos Equis plant mm. and get bottles right out of the plant, and then mm. you'd take the bottles back, get half the money you paid for the case back. <laughs> it was and, oh, in the deposit or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, no like it, it was like six bucks for a case. You bring the bottles back, you get three bucks back. <laughs> like it was ridiculously cheap good. back then. That's just good. And, that's just good business. And it's you know, you know those are. Real German lagers that they're making right. down there. Like that's good German lager. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And building a uh, you know a. a Connection with your community and you yeah. know your 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 guests and your and your customers. So, yeah, if you're going to reward me with that, I'm probably going to do that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like now you know Corona, Dos Equis, they were, the, all, all the Mexican breweries down there. They're all like little regional. They started yeah. out the same way that the yeah. German breweries did. Yeah, and they're all just good fine lagers. And and now you find yourself um, in San Francisco. What year is this now, roughly? When I moved to San Francisco, mm-hmm. 1999, 98. Okay. Yeah. And started to work in hospitality um, management of the Ritz, right? Yep. So yeah. that, that came uh, about 15 years later. But okay. um, that was my last uh, gig before I moved here was yeah, at the Ritz-Carlton. So I ran the mm-hmm. bars at the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, that, would, that was my first hotel experience. So mm. it was kind of a... It was a it was unique. It was good. It was a great challenge. Um, and I think if COVID hadn't kind of come in and altered the trajectory, maybe that would be different. But hmm. uh, it was a good time for us to sort of, uh, you know, with Ali and my, you know, my wife's mm-hmm. uh, situation, making a move. Um, and I went to school out here, so that's where I came to school out of college so, or out of high school. So it was like I would. If we're going to leave the Bay, I would just assume leave California. And so Arizona mm-hmm. was on my radar as being a, a can-do spot. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's worked out fantastic so far. And so. that's what a, what, a year and a half maybe? or Yep, 2021 20, I came, beginning of 21. Nice. So, yeah, so that's when I met all you crazy. Yeah, well, sorry crazy. about that. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, you stumbled into the wrong crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that early. That's why I belonged. <laughs> that's when you knew you fit yeah, yeah. yeah um brant let's talk about what we have on this table here um 
and what what should we start with? Maybe you know what? Maybe we should. Uh, well, I'll pause it, and we'll. Are we? All, well, what do you want to start with? Well, I've got a glass of single malt right now. Oh yeah, that's what you want to start with. Right? Sure. I mean, okay. I don't uh, know. single malt is there. All right. Yeah. Let me just uh, let me get some of that. All right, y'all. So the story goes presents this show. It's live. You can buy tickets now. This is going to be a night of live music featuring Vinyl Station, Lee Pereira Band, Stephanie Articles, Brian Chartrand and the Project, and DJ Mira. It's sponsored by Santan Spirits, Avi, and the Womack. It's going to be 15 Bones. General admission includes a welcome drink. Santan Spirits will also be there just doing like a tasting of their various juices. I'm intrigued. Food from the Womack will be available for purchase. Doors at 6, show at 7, 21 plus. If you've been on the podcast, it's only 10 bones. Hit me, or I'll, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to give you a little discount code, get you in. Five bones cheaper, that's 10 bones. I want you to go to tinyurl.com forward slash so the story goes. Get the tickets. Come hang. Celebrate this incredible local musical community. See you at the Womack, November 10th. Peace. Let's talk about American single malt whiskey. It's part of the Sacred Stave line. Um, what do we have here? 45% alcohol by volume. Um, uses only 100% malted American barley. Uh, artisan pot distilled, aged in oak, finished in hand-selected American red wine barrels. So, Brant, what can you tell us about this incredible, delicious single malt whiskey? Uh, well, first off, we make it right here in Chandler, Arizona. Um, the uh, barley comes pretty much from a place called Brees that all uh, out of uh, Minnesota, mostly, is where the uh, barley is grown. Hmm. Um, right now, we are, uh, this single malt actually has uh, three different grains in it. It's got a, uh, a standard two-row grain that we use in 90% of our beers. Hmm. Uh, a Munich two, which gives it, or a Munich twenty, sorry, which gives it kind of a the breadiness to it, and a uh, caramel eighty malt, which just is a slightly toastier malt. Again, brings out some caramel notes, mm-hmm. and definitely in beers more so than the whiskey, but they do carry over a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, most of most of what you taste is uh, the barrel and. Uh, they are hmm. mostly French oak barrels, uh, some American oak, a few French or a Hungarian oak mixed in there. Hmm. But uh, they're all uh, used wine barrels for the single malt. Um, hmm. Originally, all Arizona wine barrels. Then the Arizona wineries gave us the finger and said, we gave you all the barrels we're going to give you. So <laughs> now we're on to uh, a lot of California wine barrels. Yeah. And then I, I was wondering about, you know, how how you keep taste uh, consistent when you're getting such different wine barrels. Like um, is it, I asked if it was it's, varietal it's, based or is it really tasting it, like every day almost? It's pretty much tasting every day, mm-hmm. um, two, three times a week where we mm-hmm. actually sit down and we'll taste a couple of two, three barrels jot down our notes on them, hmm. and then we'll be like, okay, well, this barrel, this barrel, this barrel, this barrel, and we'll make hmm. ourselves a blend, hmm. match it up against the last blend, and be like, nope, it's missing this note. Okay, well, this barrel over here had a whole bunch of you know, leather or uh-huh. you know, a whole bunch of the uh, fruit note that we're looking for. You know, then, uh, 
Wow. So then it's just kind of like swapping barrels in and out of the blend to get the blend to try and stay as consistent as we can. It's uh, it's not an easy process. No, point. but it sounds delicious. Um, Question uh, on that real quick. Yeah. Uh, when you're, what, what is your sample size when you're doing like a tasting? Like uh, if you're going to try and get ratios about for that missing component, what is your sort of, uh, is it like by five ounces or is it by 50 ounces uh, or five no, gallons? I'll, I'll, pull a, I'll, I'll pour a, a standard pour, a one ounce pour into a Glencairn and let it, let it sit and open, um, mm. drip a little water into it, let it open up some more. Um, and just like go back and keep taking notes on it over. I mean, it's a 30 to 40 minute per barrel process mm-hmm. where it's just like you're waiting for changes to happen and, uh, and just kind of slowly going through and taking your notes on, on what's happening with it. And then that's how you can take the different, then I compile all those notes mm-hmm. and pick different barrels to blend together and, and then at that point, we'll make several blends and kind of see how they're, what direction they're going in. And like, okay, well, this one has this particular barrel in it that's really pushing the fruit forward notes. Mm-hmm. Or this barrel over here has got like this smokiness to it. Or this barrel over here, you know, is... Um, and, and so you would try to mix a one-ounce pour? No, I'll, I'll mix like a 200-mil bottle where okay. I'm... Because it's a, normally a 10-barrel blend. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. One of the barrels being uh, the Solaris barrel, which is a barrel filled out of the last batch. So mm. it's like the last blend that I made. I take a barrel, oh, okay. fill it up, and let it wait until my next blend, and it goes into the next blend. I see. And it's uh, and so it's always one tenth of the next blend. And how many bottles do you get out of a barrel? Uh, eh, forty-five cases, six six bottles a case. Wow. So. Okay. Well, 250, I want to yeah, say, right? Somewhere yeah. on there, usually. Wow. Um, so when you're doing a 250, would you say 250 mil bottle? For yeah, two, like a 200 mil bottle. So I'm doing bottle. like 20 mils of each barrel. That and way. So that once you've blended that, you're saying, okay, these are about our ratios here, and you're trying to... Yeah, like, yeah because each barrel is going to have about the same amount of liquid in it mm-hmm. when I blend them together. Okay, mm-hmm. Yeah. So but do you do whole? You blend the whole barrel? Yes. Or do you, okay, yeah, gotcha. So you're not doing like half of this barrel needs to go in because um, it's too... We we have we have done that on uh, limited release blends, um, but now for the sacred stave, it's it's full barrels. Got you, got you. So you're just looking for a flavor profile to get it to that ballpark you want it to be for yeah, your standard. So we, yeah, barrel. yeah. We've got we've got our flavor pyramid built. That you know we've got our nuance notes, we got our base notes, we got our mid palate notes. Um, so. Hmm. So when we spoke just before we came on air here, uh, I asked you about that standard barrel taste, and you told me it was batch one fifteen. As you uh, um, right right now, that's the one we're kind of uh, basing on it. It was very well balanced, like with with the savory and fruit notes and the uh, you know sweetness that it has to it. So it it was really really well balanced, and it it did well at the uh, New York World Wine and Spirit Competition. You know, winning best in show. Wow. So um, congrats! Yeah, I mean yeah, that congrats. was whole, that was all whiskey category. So I mean that's including Scotch. That's wow. including, you know, all bourbons and like, that Damn. was whiskey category, best in show. Wow! So, uh, what, what year was this? Uh, twenty nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, and then then COVID hit, and they didn't have it in twenty or twenty one, and. No, we're back, uh, back, back coming up. Now, now we're back, back, back in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you, Brent, can you walk me through, when you taste it, describe 
what you're tasting and and the kind of sensory things that you're experiencing, the, the, the taste and the this is the this is the nose that you know. Um, so uh, we've got like a uh, like an almond butter like marzipan note that I get on a lot of them. Uh, there's a definite like musty leather note to it. A uh, little bit of little bit of the background of cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call we call it baking spice mm-hmm. in our on our panels. Okay. Um, like an allspice, or, or, or is that different than baking spice? Well, it's baking spice is kind of like a a, a blend of nutmeg, cinnamon. Uh, Got you. You know, <clears throat> anise. Anise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get Clove. a I get a chocolate hit. Am I out uh, of my mind? Uh, there's definitely a little bit of cocoa in there. Yeah. Um, some batch seventeen is that that's the one we're drinking now. It actually has more of that chocolatey cocoa note. Uh-huh. Uh, batch sixteen had a little bit more of that fruit note. Hmm. Um, and what was the magic? What was the magic uh, juju of one fifteen? You think uh, just the balance of it? Uh-huh. I don't. I don't think it was too sweet or too savory. Like it was just uh-huh. nicely balanced yeah. throughout. It hit all the notes, but kind of like they melded together mm-hmm. just the right way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's pretty killing. Yeah, it's got that that back end sweetness. Yep. Uh, I even get a touch of smoke in it. I mean, not like a not like a you know not like a scotch, uh, but it still has some earthy, maybe earthy even. Yeah, I, I think some of that comes out of the C eighty malt because it's mm-hmm. toasted. Mm-hmm. It's a toasted mm-hmm. malt. Got you. So you get a little bit of that toastiness out of it. And can you speak uh, again, just briefly about the whole? You know, call, can we call it even single malt? Like, can we talk about uh, that whole situation? So and right the now, can of worms are open. Yeah, yeah. right. Four hours later, <laughs> you, <laughs> fast forward. You, you can, but it's not a technically recognized category by the TTB. For the U.S. For the, for the United US. States. Right. Yeah. Right. So how did you get this approved? Or are we like going super um, rogue right no, now? No, it's... It, they, there are a lot of American single malts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the TTB has decided over the last decade to that the bill has been introduced, so we're mm-hmm. going to let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know The bill hasn't when? been passed yet, right, but right. the bill was introduced a long time ago to get mm-hmm. single malt as a recognized mm-hmm. category. So it's... They've been just letting us produce it. Yeah. And I think that's actually part of their, this is how we get it passed, is there has to be enough of it made in America to oh, call it an American huh. style. So it's, it's you know, it's like champagne, let's say, right? Uh, up until now or, or, or previously, single malt could only come from Ireland or Scotland. Yeah. Okay. And, and now we're trying to say, well, we're making it too. Why can't... As a separate designation of whiskey, why don't why can't we have one? Yeah, well, I mean, they already did that in Japan. They already uh-huh. did that. Oh, really? In, uh, mm-hmm. India. They've done hmm. that in a lot of countries around the world. Okay. Um, you know, our our Congress moves a little slow. Wow. Every you know, no every shit? now and then. No uh, kidding. Whoa. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we would have been much closer to it, or even had it, had it not been the self-imposed prohibition. Mm. Uh, of 1919. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It derailed a lot of things in the sort of uh, wine, spirit, even mm-hmm. beer world. Right. Um, yeah, that's why, the, that's why the big companies rule America for huh. so long yeah. with, you know, spirits and beer. 
it's because they were the only ones that still had license yep. through prohibition because they were making they, medicine. Uh, medicine. Yeah, they were, interesting. The few exceptions and loopholes were medicinal. Mm-hmm. So I think beer was five. medicinal. Uh, beer could beer. some yes yeah, some some of it was right. Uh, I'm I'm really not sure on that one. I know spirits were spirits were for sure. Huh. Um, but yeah, beer. Beer. I don't know that they really hunted down as much as yeah. they did the the spirits. spirits. Yeah. And um, I I don't know. I don't want to sound like a, a moron, but I'm assuming that you know the Anheuser Bushes were already operating prior to 1919. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So they had the infrastructure in place to do a shift, let's say, like Santan did when COVID hit, and they started to make hand sanitizer. Right? Like there, there was a shift. They could say, "Listen, no, 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 no. We're not going to make beer anymore. We're going to make uh, soda j- pop, soda yeah. pop gel, or for your hair or whatever. Like they uh, alcohol disinfecting alcohol, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, perfume, whatever. Right, you know, right. So they were pr- maybe able to. You know, and what we need to do is I'll do some more research next time we have this conversation. But they had the infrastructure in place already. And they're like, listen, we're, it's too big to fail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like we employ thousands of people in this community. We're just going to shift our focus. Don't look too close, you know, but. And then once it was lifted, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> turn hey, the, yeah. Turn Open the garage door. <laughs> pull out the truck. Uh, you know, it also was, we were the only one having this issue. Right. So, yeah. you know, people made friends in Canada and right. Cuba and, you know, right. it, it, you know, things were still coming across the border. I mean, you know, Seagram's right. became Seagram's because of prohibition, really. Right. You know, it, it huh. just, it, it was Rum shipping runners. right through, yeah, right yeah. down the Great Lakes, you let's know. Go. Like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, and the real, real big breweries didn't become real big breweries until they could ship things cold. Yeah. Huh. Like other, like Budweiser was one of the first ones that were like, we're going to stock ice on railway cars so we can send beer to Arizona. Huh. Huh. And then they'd get pissed off because they find out that the bartenders are watering down their beer, watering down their beer, watering down their beer. So they To could, make it go longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was actually in a barrel at that point in time. Right. You know, it, huh. it wasn't a standard keg. You could just water it down. Wow. Good God. <laughs> um, this is completely off topic, but uh, So the Story Goes is, is very uh, music-forward podcast. Uh, Brant. What was your first major concert? Oh, my first major concert is a little embarrassing. It's a Oingo Boingo. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Dead Man's Party. Yeah. Love it. Where was it? In Arizona? <laughs> it, it was in Arizona. It was at uh, what I will always consider the Desert Sky Pavilion. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know if it's Ak-chan. Blockbuster, Cricket, yeah. Akachan, whatever, yeah. whatever. Actually, some furniture. Whatever company owns right. it now. Yeah. Um, no kidding. It's, and yeah. what year was this? 92, 91. Nice. Something like that. I was Oingo, yeah, Oingo. a sophomore in high school, I think, so 91. Yeah. Wow. Bradford. I'm going to date me right now. Let's go. Yeah, it was the police. The oh, police. come on. That's, be proud of that. I'm not, right. I'm not embarrassed by it. I right. guess, you know. <laughs> what, so that, that was synchronicity? Uh, no, it was before that. It was... Uh, um, was the one uh, before Ghost in the Machine, or was I think it was Ghost in the Machine? Ghost in the Machine, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. And where was that? Uh, Sears Point. In Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Outside is that, of Chicago. Is that a, a like a pavilion or? It's a pavilion. It's gone now. They uh, changed it to uh, I don't remember what the name of the new stadium or 
concert venue is. I've only been to one show there, and that was The Dead. My only time seeing The Dead was there. With Jerry? With Jerry, yeah. Mm, I and, never got to see Jerry. And uh, I saw him in the I same stadium I saw Ongo Boingo. No shit? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're like, we kept your seat warm, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What year did you see that? What, what, the, the, the Dead. Uh, the Dead was uh, the 90s. It would have been 94, 96, well, I want to say. I think Couldn't Jerry, have been 96. Yeah, I think so Jerry 94? died in 95. Five. So I think it was 94. Because yeah, the, nice. the piano player was still alive. Uh, Brett, what? Uh, Not Brett Midland. He was dead. Yeah. They, they called the piano chair the hot seat because... Uh, uh, Pigpen died. Brent Midland died. Uh, uh, God Show died. Uh, did you see him with um, um, That's Just the Way It Is? Doodly, doodly, doodly. Oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Something's Never Changed. Because uh, he was on it for a minute, kind of towards the end. Um, come on. <laughs> We're gonna take a break, and I'm gonna. And I'm gonna oh, Biggie? Uh, no, Strong no. Puffy Combs. That, yeah, about? it was uh, yeah. Tupac yeah, on yeah, keys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you see the dead? I, I believe it was '93, '94. Yeah, yeah. summer. On the maybe same yeah. tour, even. So the Is last show. Yeah, it's, it was one of his last tours, I believe. I mean, yeah. the keyboard player had just passed right after that show. That's what I remember about it. Whoever was playing uh, keys. It, then it must have been God Show because I don't think it was. I think I thought it was Pigpen or no. Brett. Pigpen was the first, first one. one? Okay. Brett Menlin was the second one. Or no, 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 no. I, no, no. I'm fucking this up. God Show because Donna and uh, Homie there. God Show. They were the the the, the couple that was playing. Uh, Brent Midland, my favorite. Brent Midland, that's who. It was, my favorite. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's like I think that's like late eighties. This would have been early nineties. Okay, we're going to have to do a ton of research. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back I, we're and throwing, look for my We're throwing dates around. Yeah. We're throwing <laughs> details around. No one's confirming anything. <laughs> Jesus. Um, let's take a break. All right. And what's the next one? Are we going to do the bourbon or the rye? Um, I'll, I'll let you pick your poison. Oh, my. Oh, my. Standing in line, mugging time, waiting for the welfare dying. they can't buy a job. Just the way it is Some things will never change That's just the way it is It's the sacred stay of bourbon Alright, 90 proof, 45% alcohol, okay So this is one that we don't distill completely in-house um, We... Uh, for the first several years, we were very focused on our single malt. Um, mm -hmm. We'd made several batches of rye, but only a couple of batches of bourbon at the you know over the first several years. Um, what was the first thing you guys distilled? Uh, the single malt. Single that, malt. That, yes. Um, well, that, our, our brewery system's just set up for brewing malt. You and know, why like, is that? It's, barley. Yeah, it's barley. It's the same thing we make beer out of. Okay. So it's um, single malt essentially is beer. Uh -huh. It's just fermented on different yeast at a different temperature. Okay. Um, brings out more esters. It would be a a very big, bold, flavorful beer. Yeah. Um, All right. So so you started with the single malt because just logistically... Logistically, it's what we knew how to brew. Mm -hmm. um, 
corn, rye, uh, they, they, they make more of a dough ball mm. than uh, malted barley does. Um, so we had to play with the enzymes and, uh, well, lowering the yield. Like we, we brew a 60-barrel batch of beer on the system that I can only brew a 30-barrel batch of uh, bourbon on. Hmm. Because if I try and brew a sixty barrel batch, it's going to stick the mash tun, and it's not going to. I'm not going to be able to get any liquid out of the bottom of it. it it's kind of like it filters itself. It's like a self filtering huh. thing. Barley has really good enzymes, and right? Ba- That's and, and barley, yeah, malted barley. It, like the malting process is actually tricking a grain into thinking it's going to become a plant, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it 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 makes an enzyme that starts converting starch into sugar. Hmm. Like uh, just a seed is only starch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but once it's malted, it actually now it now it's producing uh, maltose and an, an enzyme that uh, converts starch to sugar. Okay, and it uh, which is your fermentation, right? Yeah, which, right. Which yeah, you want sugar for your yeast to right. eat to make alcohol, right? So yeah, you need you need that maltose in there um, in order to create the sugar, and. Uh, you can use unmalted barley with malted barley, and the enzyme from the malted barley will convert this the starch at the unmalted barley as okay. well. Um, but yeah, you you need to get it started. You need to get that conversion started, and it it happens best at like the one sixty five temperature mm-hmm. is where it really starts to all right. We're we're eating all this sugar, mm-hmm. and, or we're eating all this starch and turning it into sugar, mm-hmm. and then. You take that sugar, you feed it to the yeast. The yeast turns it into CO two and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And with beer, you do that with fermentation. You arrest the process. Like, mm. you're, like you still want some residual sweetness in a beer. Mm. So you you've got to stop the fermentation while there's still a little bit of sugar in it. Like you want like one to two Play-Doh mm. still left in your beer. Mm. Otherwise, it's just going to be really dry and a higher alcohol and just like what not is as a palatable. Play-Doh? What what is it? A uh, percent sugar. Okay. Okay. Essentially, got you. Like one Play-Doh would essentially be one percent sugar. Okay. You know the thing I, I found interesting visiting your place, Brant, was that um, in your process, I don't know if this is you know where you go to the wart or what, but you guys have a centrifuge. Yes. On your uh, on your on uh, a brewery on floor. Brewery. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which I had not seen before, and I don't know okay. if that's a, a common thing, but I, I had not seen that before. Um, Want to go take us through that a little bit? Uh, and why the, you guys did the that? The centrifuge is you know, strictly for the beers. We don't use it for the whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it's a filtration process. It's uh, it's kind of like a, a giant lab centrifuge. I don't know if you've ever seen one of the little lab centrifuges mm-hmm. where you get the little vials and mm-hmm. you put them all in this circle yep. Spin and it spins around. them around real fast while the sediment comes to the bottom mm-hmm. because of the centrifugal force that's mm-hmm. happening in there. So essentially we're taking the beer, we're running it from uh, the fermentation vessel to the uh, packaging vessel. And it, on the way through, it goes through this centrifuge, and it takes out all the uh, little bits of uh, grain that would still be in there and the uh, yeast, little bits of yeast that are still in there. Like when you arrest the uh, fermentation process, the yeast pretty much drops to the bottom, mm-hmm. and then you crop all of that yeast off. What's usable, you can take and repitch in your next batch of beer. Hmm. What's not, uh, you've got to flush down the drain with lots of water and actually... Add um, pH balancers to oh, your sure. drain so the city so it doesn't fuck with the drown yeah. with the groundwater. So it doesn't fuck with the yeah. Now, you guys don't bottle ferment, right? 
No, we do not. So, but in that scenario where someone would want to bottle ferment, they would keep a lot of that yeast, right? Or yeah, um, yeah it, it would it would almost be like a fresh pitched beer mm-hmm. going into the bottle. And is there a, an advantage or a disadvantage to doing that? I'd say there's more of a disadvantage because mm-hmm. it's not a not as much of a controlled fermentation, right? Right. Um, right. Like. When when you're fermenting a beer, you want to when when the yeast is done, you want to give it uh, what they call a diacetyl rest, and um, and that's where the yeast actually kind of eats its own byproduct. Huh. Um, diacetyl is an off flavor that you'll find in beer. It's like almost like buttered popcorn. Huh. So if you ever get like a buttered popcorn flavor in your beer, it's because they didn't diacetyl rest it properly, and Whoa. it's it's an off flavor. So. Huh. Um, walk me through this bourbon. What do you what do you smell and what are you tasting? Um, well, this bourbon, I uh, we actually we reage on uh, our wine barrels, um, and I, I I do get a lot of that nice nice wine fruit character coming out of it. Um, other than that, it's just a really nice clean mm-hmm. corn forward bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a bit of spice. It's got uh, it's like twelve percent rye, I believe it is. What, yeah, what is your mash bill on this? Or can you say um, this? This one I can't say. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> it's over sixty percent corn. Okay, gotcha. And you said twelve. And it's rye? got about twelve percent rye. Okay, I'm honing I'm doing in. Doing the math. Doing the math. As you get my calculator. Okay, calculate. Divided by three mm-hmm. and times nine. It's delicious, man. That's easy drinking. Mm-hmm. It is a really easy drinking one. Um, mm. So it's ninety proof. It's ninety proof. We we've got the uh, all, the sacred stave line, and we've set it ninety proof. So the sacred stave rye would also be at ninety proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rye you brought here tonight is the Butcher Jones rye. I believe it's bottle and bond, so one hundred proof. Mm. Um, yeah, I I'm a strong believer that uh, you should. Add water to your whiskey as you're drinking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you're to the type of person that, that likes to enjoy a actual neat glass of whiskey, mm-hmm. um, it, it'll it change. Mm-hmm. Like So I, I want people to be able to experience that change without oversaturating their beverage. Mm-hmm. Like uh, You don't want to end up with a 50-proof glass of spirit mm-hmm. when you're done you know, with your ice cube or water, you know, mm-hmm. dripping water in it. Um, so we kept them all a little bit more bold, uh, strictly for that purpose. To to stand up to that. To stand up to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were we talked briefly uh, on the patio, and this is again a non sequitur, but because this is uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. Um, uh, my, we talked. We said Duh. my three biggest concert regrets were not seeing Prince. Tom Petty or the Dead with Jerry. Do you guys have any bands that you maybe not because they're not playing anymore, but just because you, you never got to see or you want to see? So we were just talking about the uh, the Alpine going to Alpine trip. How yeah, that doesn't do go that. well. So for musicians, uh, I was supposed to go to the Steve Ray Vaughan show when uh, he had the airplane crash. No I kidding, did not make it and. Did not get to see him. And so do not. This is a PSA to musicians. Yeah, be careful with your flight drive. to Alpine. Yeah, drive to Alpine. Yeah, or or just pass it by. You know, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So any concert regrets? Uh, well, not seeing him for sure. Yeah. Oh uh, shit! I mean, you, right, you were 
you uh, were yeah. gonna go see that show. Yep. Oh my god. And oh I, my god. I don't remember the reason why we didn't, but uh, you know, there was no more show after that. Right. So yeah. uh, he would have been one I would really have liked to see. Oh him, my so. god, that would have been incredible. Yeah. I mean, in Chicago blues, you know, I mean, just uh. it's Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know. Oh what my else god. You need to say? Uh, that's one of them for me, Brand. Uh, mine would be uh, the Pink Floyd concert that went on at ASU. Oh. Uh, I was supposed to get tickets, and uh, the girl I was dating didn't go get the tickets. And when I got off work, the tickets were out. Uh, um, <laughs> how, how long did that that's, relationship that's back when last? You had, that's back when you had to go to Dillard's and uh, Ticketmaster <laughs> right. and actually get the tickets. Sleep out, sleep out at yeah, night. Yeah, sleep out overnight yeah. and you know, whatnot. So, um, so, yeah, I went to Ticketmaster after work, and they're like, oh, sorry, we're all out. Oh. And um, so then we tried to climb up a mountain and uh, watch it from the top of a mountain, and uh, we got a little bit of laser light show before the police showed up and escorted the Kicked 50, 60 people that were on top of a mountain okay. off of a mountain. Oh, God. <laughs> and, what, and what year was this? What tour was that? Uh, that would have been like 94 or 95. Division? D- that no, would have been Division, Division Bell. Bell, yeah. I think I, think I, so, think I yeah. saw that tour in Massachusetts. Yeah. It was killing. You missed a great show. Anyway, uh, I, no, it's <laughs> my all-time favorite band. Salty so it's like, no kidding. You know, like, oh yeah, like I, yeah. I, I always go back. That's one of the few bands I always go back to. Uh huh. It's like, you know, I, yeah, I love Nirvana and like, the whole grunge era, but I, I always go back to Pink Floyd. I, I, re- I, I can go a year without my punk rock. I can go a year without my grunge music. Yeah. Pink hey Floyd. you. Pink Floyd, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I recently just listened. The other day, well, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting at the pool, and I, and, I, and I don't know why, but I was like, I don't know if I've ever listened to Dark Side of the Moon front to back in one sitting. Oh, really? Okay. Which is f- fucking insane to say. So I did, and I was like... Yeah. This is a masterpiece. See, I, I had a tape player that you couldn't rewind or fast forward. It just like you let it auto flip <laughs> and you just play the whole tape all the way through uh-huh. in my car when I was growing up. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. like That's that was that was one of the, like, yeah. like Pink Floyd, The Wall, Dark Side of the Moon, um, yeah. Bob Marley, Legend. Uh, like the, those were yeah. some of those albums. Uh, and Beastie never... Boys, License to Ill. Oh, like yeah. the yeah. tapes that I'm like, yeah, I can put this in and let it play for a week. <laughs> right, right, or two, yeah. and never get sick of it. Never get sick of it. Yeah, <laughs> that is a true story. It forced you to listen to all the B sides too. Mm-hmm. Definitely knew all the B sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I, you know, whatever. I, I just think that they knew how to make records back then. They, they understood because of the physicality of the, the medium through which we consume this shit, whether it's LP or cassette. They were, you know, like it, it was. They were built for that, right? Yeah. Built for those experiences, yeah. the A and the B side. Yeah, it's not like that anymore. No, no, no. Now it's the one hit. It's the one song. Like well, that's, even that's all, that's all you have to promote is the one song anymore, right? Because right. you're coming out electric, electronically. It's, right. it's on the computer. Like you just need the one song. Well, and no one's gonna sit down and listen you, to your entire new record. No. I mean, what do you think? People have time to do that? No, they want the one song. Give me the one song. Yep. And even CDs, you don't have that experience of actually having to flip the cassette or drop the needle or change the, you know, yep. flip the LP yeah. or whatever, yeah. flip the vinyl. Yeah. No, you just had the skip. <clears throat> right. right. <laughs> the yeah. skip and the rewind. Like, right. I mean, the early CD days, I remember my girlfriend driving me crazy because she wanted skip. to play the same fucking song over uh-huh. and over again. Like, as soon as it ended, repeat. 
Repeat. That's why repeat. they made cassette singles, right. which are the devil. All right, I'm going to destroy your fucking sweater. <laughs> I'm going to burn that sweater. <laughs> and the CD with it. Yeah. All this shit's going to burn in a minute. I don't know what happened to your Weezer CD, honey. <laughs> but I you might find it know. near your sweater. <laughs> by the fireplace. <laughs> but that was a great record, though. It was a that great was record. A great Record. It was a good, great yeah. record, but I mean, you know, you can only listen to the sweater song so many fucking times in a row. <laughs> My favorite was the "Say It Ain't So" from that record. Oh yeah, it's great. Say I it mean, it was so. a, it was a great record. Yeah, I mean, that's why I had the CD. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't right. buy the CD because they sucked. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I still enjoy Weezer, just in yeah. moderation. Right. <laughs> in case you miss it, y'all. So the story goes presents the show November 10th that's a Thursday at the Womack 7th Street and Bethany home it's one of my favorite spots live music uh, booze food tinyurl.com forward slash so the story goes get all the information get tickets if you've been on the pod I'm gonna send you a discount code babies let's see let's hang what made you guys decide to do double maturation for your bourbon? With wine barrels. Uh, well, bourbon's so restricted as just a category. I mean, it's hmm. got to be 51% corn. It's got to be aged on new char American oak. Um, and it's. I feel bourbons are very similar from top to bottom. Hmm. Um, it's a way to stand out. Like, it, if by cask finishing, it gives it a little something different that most people don't really expect from a bourbon. But they're not going to be put off by it. Mm -hmm. Like the the average bourbon drinker is going to be like, yeah, that's good bourbon. It's got a little something different. I can't put my finger on it, but I really like it. Mm. You know. But uh, so that's kind of what we we're looking for with it. Nice. We, yeah, because we see a lot of that now in the market in its, of itself with whiskey in general, right? Yeah. Whether it's Madeira barrels or port mm. barrels or sherry yeah. or um, you know, and not just bourbon, but like yeah. Yeah. there's a lot more blending going on out there too. Yeah, know? for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so that's, that's cool that you guys so what was the process like for that? Was it just you getting together and saying, we need to do this? Or was it you saying, no, we, uh, this is um, the way I want to do it? Or a little bit of both. Um, like we, we wanted to be distinct in that way. Um, like, like I said at the beginning, we were really focused on the Arizona wine barrel. Like we wanted to be very Arizona focused. Um, Unfortunately, the Arizona wineries only make so much wine, right? And so they only want to give away so many barrels every year. But don't they have to, like, or, or no, no, they'll reuse barrels time and time again. Okay, it's, uh, yeah, huh? It's like they they give us the barrels that they don't want anymore. Essentially, I see. Yeah, uh-huh. um, some some wineries actually want older used barrels because it gives off less barrel flavor. Less, so yes. you're going to get less tannin, less oaky characteristics. Oak, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. hmm. and, and a lot of times that's why they give them away is because they're too oaky. Mm. Hmm. It gets oakier over time? Um, no, it just... It, it just... M- the, the, oh, I see. The they, way the they, barrel they maturates. Tried it once, yes, they and then, tried and it then, once. Like, it, it was a little too oaky for them. And gotcha. they're like... We can't uh, work with this. We, we, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, we, this is a blender barrel. But uh-huh. it's not a base barrel. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Huh. Huh. That's interesting. 
because yeah, bourbon and whiskeys want those barrel flavors, right? Mm. Wines uh, in moderation. You know, it's yeah, like my, it's yeah. like salt. You know, it's like uh, you really want to be easy on the salt with the wines, uh, unless you're talking like you know the phase of big buttery chardonnays and stuff right. like that. Uh, people wanted more uh, oak flavor for that, but that you know uh, is not not the trend now. And uh, I think, you know, for red, red wine specifically, they want a little bit less barrel. You know, they, hmm. want, they want the characteristics of the varietal uh, to really sort mm, of shine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the blend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going to Jack Daniels and coming up on a room and there was about six or eight people in there all tasting the different barrels and blends and what, what have you, you know, yep. sort of rating them yeah. uh, to standards. Uh, and I just remember going, I want that fucking job. Mm. Like, just it's to sit around, taste whiskey, taste notes. It's harder than it looks. I, I, <laughs> I get it. I, you know, I mean, like, you get burnt out really quick. Yep. Like, uh, you, get, you get through four or five glasses of whiskey, and you're like, all right, now they just all smell exactly the same. They all just smell like whiskey, taste like whiskey. It's like, I've been spitting the whole time, but... Right. I'm already got a buzz. Yeah, yeah. And my tongue is numb. And my tongue is numb. And I can't smell anything. Yeah, my nose hairs are burned out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sounds like a good Saturday night to me. (laughs) Saturday day. That's even better. Um, That's when I saw him doing it. So I I was looking for the application right away. Um, But so so to my point, then I, I guess. You guys must have more than one taster. Do you have a panel of tasters? How do you guys go through that process? Um, it's it's mostly me rounding up people and being like, hey, taste <laughs> you this. You have my number, right? Fill this out. <laughs> you, have, you have Bradford's I, number? I, 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 Mine's I've, I've, I've got, <laughs> I, I, I do have, I have a, a select eight people that I punt down and like, okay, hey, when can you do a tasting for mm-hmm. me? And um, Because I, I actually understand what they're saying when they're saying it. Mm-hmm. Like not not everybody picks up like the same flavor profile, the same notes. Like they'll describe it differently. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I understand when you say almonds, and you say marzipan, you're kind of talking about the same, same thing, right? You know what I mean? It's but uh, so it's which is it, it's just kind of it, it's I, I've got to, I've got to know my tasting panel mm. sure. and what they're actually what they're perceiving, hmm. um, which isn't always easy. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm trying to interpret a foreign language sometimes. Sure, but um, but yeah, it's it definitely helpful for for me, mm-hmm. um, and and seeing all these different like reactions to the same barrel. And then does like, the buck stop with you, like when you're like, or does is that also a uh, you know consortium decision or a, a you know a, a consensus amongst? Um, it it pretty much stops with me. Uh, I mean. Anthony, the owner, can throw throw his veto in. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this. Uh, yeah, is I don't like part this. Of, is he a part of the, the tasting he, panel? He, he is when he can be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a busy man. Yeah. Um, got a couple things he, to do. He's got a couple things to do, a company yeah. to run, you know, yeah. whatnot. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Show like, off. <laughs> and it's like, you know, with whiskey tasting, it's one of those things you want to do, like, mid mid morning like after after you you've already had your coffee's gone away right. your b- breakfast has gone away your right. palate's fairly clean right i mean if you if you ask like the professional tasters they'd be like don't even brush your fucking teeth in the morning wow like you need to go in there no coffee no Whoa. cigarettes Whoa. didn't brush your teeth didn't have breakfast it's the first thing you drink Whoa. and smell. Wow. Like, that's when your palate's the freshest. When I was doing my Salmay stuff, that's exactly what I did. And because it's the truest sense of what you can get, you know, of, yeah. you know the raw flavor of it. And it, then you kind of know 
to adjust your flight like, with what yeah, you've had like, from there. Yeah. I, I can come in in the mornings and do that. The owner of the business can't come in yeah. in the mornings yeah. and do that. <laughs> like, he can't be like, all right, I'm going to start my day with five glasses of whiskey, <laughs> and then I'm going to go to this meeting with the bank. <laughs> I need more money. Because <laughs> yeah. I want more barrels, because yeah. I really like this whiskey. <laughs> you should be able to smell it. What I didn't realize that you did some sommelier training. Yeah. What yeah. what level did you get to? Uh, certified, so certified quartermaster sommeliers, which is a level two. Um, then you go to advanced and master. Um, there's, I think there's, what last count was two thirty something in the world of masters. So wow. it's a, yeah, it's a it's a long, tedious process. Um, the advanced one is intriguing to me. It's a it's a lot of work, uh, and you get really much more depth about, you know, I mean, wine is a total rabbit hole. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, just, yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I, it's over my head. Like when, when you talk about these small days, I, like, I don't get, it's so in depth. I, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. from varietal to, you know, yeah. how they produce it, to the soils, to the, you know, the, the weather for the year, to how right. they pick the grapes, what they, you know, it goes on and on and on. And, you know, it goes through, like, geography and history and uh, um, region and laws. And, and wow. each law is different. And there's – it's it's uh, it's intense. But mm-hmm. um, the – I guess the thing I wanted the most out of it was to really understand the wines, at least at a nice structured skeleton, you know. And mm-hmm. then some areas, you know, I have more muscle than others amongst the skeleton, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that tends to be where you sort of veer your favorites, your sure. you know varietals you tend to uh, gravitate towards. Um, but uh, the thing it really taught me was how to taste. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know they use a uh, what they call a deductive tasting method, which I think a lot of whiskey companies and so forth, tasting grids are sort of starting to go towards. But it's the idea of eliminating possibilities of what the varietal could be. Because on the, your exam, you have to blind taste six wines. So you have three white, three red. You have a certain amount of time. And you've got to you know, narrow it down to what the varietal is. Uh, is it New World or Old World? Meaning basically, is it Europe or from the States or Australia or whatever else? Uh, the vintage uh, you know, and the, hmm. the possibilities of what it can be. Hmm. And then you have to sort of nail those or at least enough of them to pass the exam. So, yes. and then it's like a, you know, they have a theory. So it's all, that's kind of the laws, uh, weather, uh, you know, um, theories about the, uh, varietals and so forth. And then you have a service component, which is how you serve wine and the proper way to do that, you know, whether wow. it be decanting or uh, who, who to serve first to the table, how you present the wine, how you hmm. speak about the wine. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's in depth. But when we're talking about the tasting, that was my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. It's really like focusing on your tasting. And the best way it was ever described to me by one of the master sommeliers that I studied with was that he said, look, uh, tasting is like math. Like some people have a, a better aptitude for tasting and better aptitude for math, but no one gets good at it unless you practice it. Hmm. And uh, it is repetition. It's over and over and over. It's noticing nuances. Uh, you know, Brant tastes every day. So he knows mm. really what he's looking for and can, when things are can off. Sense, yeah. yeah, can sense that slight change. That's right. You know, I, I know that with my own whiskey. Like, I, that's that's what I deal with. Like, I, I don't know that I could do that with a whole world's worth of wine. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. That's, there's a lot of wine out there, a lot of countries it's made in, and like a lot right. of different varietals For sure, right. of grapes. So it's like to be able to master all of that just by like the nuance of the grape is impressive to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's taste buds on a whole other level, right? Yeah, I mean, it that's really some is. Sort of. I just again, I think it's practice. I think it's like it, you know, if you practice your math and you know you're you can good enough at problem solving math and you learn all your formulas and you keep going, you know, then calculus gets easier, you know, mm-hmm. or or maybe you don't want to do algebra anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like again when we talked about don't brush your teeth or don't drink coffee, like for f- five months I would have vials in the of wine in the uh, refrigerator or out ready to taste to see if I could do them, but always without mm. that because mm. I wanted to have a baseline calibrate, you mm. know, yeah, have a baseline. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and when, when you're like doing like looking for varietals, is there like, is there like a, a certain, a specific sense that you're like, okay, this is this varietal. Like it, it's got this certain spice to it, the certain, Yes. Nose to it. Yes, for sure. And they're molecular compounds, yeah. uh, basically. So, you know, uh, so I started learning about what perazines are and, you know, uh, turpines and right. things like this. And so, uh, like a Riesling, a good German Riesling, will smell like Band-Aids or Vaseline mm. or petrol, mm. they say, you know, which is a similar compound. Kind of like scotch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you'll get these those smells and then those flavors you're looking for. Hmm. And then you have to d- determine whether it's from Rheingau or mm-hmm. Mosul or, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Alto Arage or whatever. And uh, those characteristics, you learn what those traits are. And you only do that by practice. That's yeah. what I say about That's the math. Exactly. Right. You, you have to taste those over and over and over again yeah. to be like, wow, this is uh, definitely For your feels like an Alto Arage like thing. Yeah. Know the formula. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, or, it's got to know the, the X times Y plus... Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, we like to say one of the things for like determining an old world wine to a new world wine is that the new world wines, and this is just a general statement, by the way. It's just, but one of the characteristics tends to be that new world wines are more fruit forward, and old world wines are a little more nuanced with the adjunct flavors. What mm-hmm. we call the, I, I memorize them as the fachos, so the uh, florals, spices, herbs, and others. So those things that like kind of characteristic mm. are more at the front. And your flavor and your, and your smell. Hmm. Uh, that's sort of things that you learn along the way that you can deduce what this wine probably is. Um, j- just to get back to this bourbon real quick, I, I wonder as a, as, a, as a cocktail master, like where do you see this fitting in, in your bar and what, what cocktail would you make with this? The, 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 the bourbon, Sacred Stave, Arizona bourbon whiskey. The bourbon, I would um, probably go a paper plane right off the bat. I don't know. It just sort of speaks to me, a little paper plane action. What is that? It's a classic. It's uh, Aperol, lemon, uh, bourbon. Uh, I'm missing something. My brain's not fully working, but the whiskey is. <laughs> um, Thank God something is. Yeah, El and No Nino, Amaro. Uh, it's got that like nice sweetness to it, so it lends to that. Um that cocktail has like these sweet and sour components with the amaro that has a you know nonino is kind of a rich sort of raisiny amaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this dovetail nicely into that. Um, you know, I would start with sort of classics and go out from there, mm-hmm. unless a particular flavor sort of hits me and I say, okay, you know, I should run down this route of right. lemongrass or chamomile right. or whatever right. it is, yeah. you know, right. right, or marzipan for example. Right. I made a cocktail once. I think you'll like this. It said, "Never call me marzipan." <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You like it? Yeah. Uh, we'll have to try it. I, we will. Yeah, absolutely. Marzipan became an infatuation of mine for a while. Uh, and <laughs> do you remember the movie Stripes? 
Oh, God. When, God when yeah. Nobody calls me psycho. Right, right. <laughs> the name's Francis Sawyer, but everybody calls me psycho. So everybody calls me psycho. So that's where the marzipan, no, nobody calls me marzipan. That's where yeah. that came right. from. If you touch my stuff, if you, I will fucking I, kill I, you. I, yeah, kill I will you. kill you. <laughs> Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite <laughs> all time. Sergeant Holka. He's the big toe. He's the big toe. <laughs> Thursday, November 10th at the Womack, tinyurl.com forward slash so the story goes. And man, everything you guys are doing is just, just, you're just crushing it. And I'm so thankful that you guys are here doing what you do because, I I mean, no one else in Arizona is doing it. Yeah, yeah, like like right now I'm halfway between really hoping things blow up and really afraid things blow up because I've got way too many products to like, Yeah. oh, okay, now I've got to make... This much of everything, like uh, right. uh, I mean, do you, is that is your facility scalable? I mean, that's a huge uh, fucking thing. Yeah, it, it it is a huge fucking thing. Like we we can produce a lot more than we do. Oh, really? Um, just I like we're just getting in fries and total wine yeah. and like all the staples around town. Yeah. So it's like now now you're the single malt starting to move better, the you know vodkas are starting to move a little better. You have gins. Um, we've got gins, we you make got our own amaro, we make our own cocktails in a can. Yeah, I've right? got the, multiple the, the different sun, flavored the, vodkas. Yeah, we got Summer Splash or the yeah, Sun we, Splash. We got the Sun Splash uh Holy vodka seltzers. Those we are got, killing by the way. We got a uh, ginger ginger punk uh um, Yes. Whiskey ginger, which is actually made with the aged single malt. Killing. Oh, um, yeah. And then uh, just constantly like trying to throw <laughs> new products out there because, yeah. you know, we've got uh, a cast club where people actually get a case of, of booze twice a year. Oh, uh, we try try and keep club. it mostly uh, whiskey orientated. Mm-hmm. But it's like I can't. I right. I can only make so many different types of whiskey. Right. And I don't know that they want a, a bottle of the same four whiskeys every time with you know uh-huh. two of something else's. Right. You know I I, I kind of feel like they, that's cheating them. So I'm. Uh, I would I'm enjoy like, that. Okay. Well, this yeah. time I'm going to develop a rum. Okay. Yeah, this right. time I'm going to develop a right. you know like a honey whiskey or a right. you know just a special blend whiskey just for the cast club. Uh-huh. Um, you guys doing any single barrels at the at this time or not? Um, yet, or? We we've done several single barrels. Um, they don't move very fast uh, because we don't really have an outlet for them. Like if you if you can't fill every fries in the valley, that fries don't want it. You uh-huh. know, if you can't fill every total wine in the valley, total wine doesn't want it. Uh-huh. Um, we did do a uh, single barrel release for total wine like huh. four years ago. Like it, it was really really nice cask number twenty one. It was it's really nice uh, a rye single malt blend actually Ooh. that. Uh, I barrel aged mm. and it turned out delightful. Um, I was very disappointed when they're like, "We want this barrel," and I'm like, "No, I want that barrel." <laughs> um, <laughs> Fight you for it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, we, we've done a, we've done a few, but they like we don't have a lot of markets to move them in. Mm. Like as you can hit the uh, all the individual little liquor stores right. and be like, hey, do you want to buy a case? Huh. Um, but it's it's a hard sell. Yeah, on something they've never had before, they have no freaking clue what it is. Like and how do you how do you how do you price it even? I well, mean, because it's so uh, limited, you know, and you don't want to price yourself we, out of it. Well, we we just 
we're going with fair pricing right now. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we want to make our small cut. Yeah. Um, the distributors want to make their small cut. Sure. The grocery store wants to make their small cut. Yeah. So, I mean, by at the end of the day, you know, you end up with a $29 bottle of single malt, uh, but that's totally what worth it's it. worth. That, you know, I mean, it's, but we're, we're not gouging here. I, that it's, this costs $29. Yeah. I buy this all day. I buy a case right now. Brent, let's go. It's good juice, yeah. homie. So I mean, it, the the uh, sacred safe single malt is an average three year old barrel. Yeah. Um, we don't have an age statement on it. We can't because it's not a recognized right. TTB product. Right. Right. Like um, like with our Butcher Jones Rye and our uh, Jacob Waltz Bourbon, we call out, hey, this is a four year old mm-hmm. whiskey. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're also doing a four year old single malt. Um, that we're currently developing a name on because the name we had was cease and desisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, Brian Chartrand you know, is taken, to, homie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Sorry. You, <laughs> there's just so many names out there. You know, you got to just throw throw one at the uh, right. at the Mine's wall for and, sale. <laughs> see if it's for already got an price. R next to it. You know, like would, uh, how about this name? Nope, it's got an R next to it. How about this name? Nope, it's got an R next to it. <laughs> Registered trademarks. So this is the Butcher Jones Arizona Straight Rye Whiskey. A hundred proof. Bottled and bond. Bottled and bond. bond. Yeah. Four years. So can you take us through bottled and bond real quick, Brent? Yeah. Like this is kind yeah. of important. So, so uh, bottled and bond essentially in America means um, that it is brewed, distilled, barrel aged, all in the same bonded facility. Um, for a bourbon rye, it has to be four years old. It has to be aged in single use to new char oak barrels. Doesn't designate char level. Mm. Um it is has that a normal thing to designate a char level? No, it okay. doesn't. No, but uh, yeah, yeah, they could. Yeah, it is. A, yeah. <laughs> don't don't tempt them. The TTB will, you know. Yeah, another another reason to find people. Right, right. <laughs> I like alligators. Give me the gator char. Yeah, it's got to be gator char if it's a Louisiana char. bourbon. Right, you know. Right. <laughs> Well, but no, they about, don't do that yet. The big no. thing about bottom bond is you have to have that approval, that stamp from the government. Right? Yes. Like I, you have I, to be a bonded warehouse yes, facility. I, I have to be a bonded warehouse facility. It has to be brewed, distilled in the same season. Hmm. So um, so it's not like I, I can't take something that I blended, that I distilled two or six years ago and blend it with something I distilled four years ago. Interesting. It, it has to be like that season. It has to be where my palate... It's 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 meant to be like a a stamp on where the distiller's palate is right now. This is like this. It's like a judgment of the head distiller hmm. is a bottle and bond. It's like it this, sounds this is this is his flavor profile at this point in time. Doesn't that Boom. sound completely arbitrary and subjective? It is uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Again, another thing that sort of spawned out of prohibition or yeah. just before. Mm-hmm. It's just like the people were doing all this moonshine and right. people were having, you know, trouble seeing that. Well, yeah, well it, you know, people so. people stopped trusting distillers. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it was became a money boon basically. Right. And yeah. uh I think E. H. Taylor, one of the, one of the big bourbon people stepped in and you had government connections, said, you know, we need to know that our distillery is doing it the right way, uh-huh. and that it is—you know—it's like an FDA thing. Right, like, yeah. This is safe, right, and, and yeah. it's been, huh. you know, stamped. And we know where the grain has come from. We know that we've watched it the entire time. Like this is not rubbing alcohol you're drinking. This right. is like, 
you know, Got legitimate you. And, bourbon. And then, so yeah, and then all the big boys, of course, started stepping in and be like, "Oh well, bourbon should only be made in Bourbon County, or bourbon right. should, you know." Right. They, like they they wanted their own like you can only make AOC basically you, only right? Jack Daniels can make Jack Daniels is right. essentially what you know everybody was trying to say uh-huh. is like no we're the only bourbon we're we're the only Tennessee whiskey we're the only right, um, right. so they they were trying to make themselves distinguished uh-huh. in a lot of ways um, is that charcoal filtering is that complete bullshit <laughs> I say no I, I, no it, it's it, it's it, a real thing they, yeah it is a real thing okay because if you ever they actually Jack Downs is supposed to release uh, for retail a white dog uh, pre charcoal filtered and post charcoal filtered and I've I've been there and tasted them both and uh, it's noticeable really like, yeah. yeah and uh, you know the thing about Tennessee whiskey is like what is Tennessee whiskey they like to say it's it's bourbon plus one and the plus one is charcoal sure. filtered huh. that's what makes it a Tennessee whiskey I by see. law huh. Um, and you know, for Jack Daniel's case, they they make their own charcoal and they filter it through these charcoal pans. And and, uh, and do you know how? Uh, well, they've like, got a lot of single use barrels that they have to dispose of. Right. So yeah. they so they <laughs> char the, those barrels. And they yeah. just use uh, uh, the, the pallets too. Yeah. They just, and the pallets. They just and, cook yeah. them down to charcoal, yeah. and then they yeah, it's just wood. You know, yeah, it's just they, wood. They make them charcoal. Yeah. Wow. And then they put them all over these pans, and they drip the whiskey over, and mm-hmm. it filters mm-hmm. through. And it basically, I mean, we've asked them what. You know why is it and all this stuff and the, the only sort of thing it, it's it sort of removes this oil and this sort of this mm. esters that like exist in a white dog before it goes to barrel mm. and so it the flavor is definitely noticeably changed whether you like that or not is something completely different right. you know right. I mean Jack Daniel's yeast is very banana you know mm-hmm. so if you like mm-hmm. that you're gonna right. love it but right. if you don't it's not gonna matter what the charcoal filter does you know right yeah. right and, uh, now see we we really like the oily character of our whiskey. Like, uh, like it gives like great legs in the glass. It, it lingers on the palate. Like, yeah. I I like the oiliness of a whiskey. Like, I I don't want a charcoal filtered whiskey. Huh. I like an oily whiskey. Yeah, those fatty huh. esters are where yeah. the flavor is to That's me. I mean, yeah. I you know, I mean, not that I there are several Tennessee whiskeys that I like, but um, but also huh. harder to keep a consistent product. Well, yeah, for sure. Huh. So I, I think that's part of the reason they do it. Like, I mean, Jack Daniels, Jim Bean, they, they, they own their own forests. They own their own cooperages. They get uh, the same exact toast, exact same huh, barrel right. every freaking time. Huh. So it's like their their product consistency is yeah, pretty spot on. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I can't hit that sort of consistency. That would be... And dialed in mass level. Yeah, right. That, right. That's like, I'm not anywhere near that level. Mm-hmm. They are one of the only, I think they're the only one that does their own cooperage, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's it's impressive to watch those guys uh, do those uh, barrels. It's mm-hmm. it's it's quite quite a thing to see, you know. Yeah. Wish yeah. you got to do one while I was down there and put one together. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Take a little jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Only you got to move fast. Yeah. Go fast. Um, Can you walk me through? This for you, like the the fl- the flavor profile for you, and um, so I I mean it's just like a big doughy rye bread. I mean mm-hmm. it's it's got nice rye spice to it. A uh, lot of lot of uh, vanilla in mm-hmm. coming out of the oak. That's that's what I was getting. Uh, like, more like a more like a vanilla sweet. Yeah, like but well, not sweet. I don't well, know. Amer- American oak gives you a lot of like vanilla and um, caramel, coconut, and, and, and yeah, a little bit of dill. caramel. Yeah. A little bit of dill comes mm-hmm. through, um, and and you still get that musty like mm-hmm. old book. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. 
which is one of my favorite things about whiskey is mm-hmm. I, I love that musty old book. You yeah, know? I do. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I love that in wine. If I can yeah, find that I same thing in wine, I do that's too. the wine like, that I that's want. That's a good cab for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I want some spice. I want some leather. Yeah. I, 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 but I want and I, and a little bit of vanilla, but not, you know, but at the spice in the, in the, in the yeah. uh, old book. Old that's book. a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, I mean, dirty old. I mean, normally, we'd call them savory notes, you know, uh-huh. that, mm. to not make it sound unappealing. You know? Right, you want, right. You, you want it just to sound t- tasty. Well, isn't <laughs> you know, isn't you don't one of the it, like, f- flavor uh, d- descriptors is like a cat urine in in uh, Sauvignon Blanc? Yeah, yeah. in yeah. in mm-hmm. wine, like that is n- doesn't sound appetizing to me. But no, if right. that's the note. You know, then it's yeah. fucking so be it. Well, when I you mean, smell it's like, it, you know, that's probably a cork. Yeah. No, no, it's oh. actually it's probably a, uh, a very good a French Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it really is. Like, I mean, uh, the same, same note is used to describe some hop varietals. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I like barnyard a lot. Like, but you yeah. know, I don't yeah. say that to guests because guests are like barnyard. You know, right. but like you know that musty barnyardy right. yep. hay, earthy, right. like right. wet leaf. You know, right. all those <laughs> kind of things that yeah. kind of go in fall, fall, autumn. Yeah, foraging. You're foraging for mushrooms. Yeah, right. another yeah. note, you know? right. Instead, you call it. It's a mix of fall and grandma's basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we had a cocktail at Century Grand called the Tassane, and uh, Tassan, as my French friends tell me, uh, and it tasted like I used to say an antique leather bookstore is how I yes. described it. And, uh-huh. that's a, and I think you had this one actually, Brian. It was one of the, yeah. You, I don't know if you remember it, but uh, and then one woman told me, I said, "What do you think of it?" She goes, "I like your description." But if I were to describe it and tell you what it tastes like, I would say it tastes like an old man in a glass. <laughs> and I said, I can totally see that, but I cannot say that right. and sell this drink. Right. No, right. no, yeah. right. nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna buy me flavored water. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My, the marketing pop, department, old man, pop water. The marketing yeah. department is not gonna be happy. Yeah. <laughs> but I like your honesty. <laughs> your candor is off the charts. Well, um, Brant. Thank you so much uh, for yeah, sharing your knowledge and sharing this great juice. And, and Bradford, um, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this as well. And just a reminder that we're joining forces on November 10th at the Womack. Santana is going to be there. They're going to bring some spirits. There's going to be tasting. There's going to be a welcome drink. And music, yada yada yada, yada yada. That's the main thing. Is the well, music? I, I mean, come on. It depends. Uh, depends. You know. Depends. You ask. Depends so, you ask. Yeah. We're excited about this show. I am in particular. Uh, I think you know this, but um, you know, you guys have all taken us in like family here since we moved here, and um, you know, the Womack is certainly about showing off our local talent here uh, that I feel is underrated, uh, and. You know, not quite underappreciated, but, you know, we're going to make sure that's not the case, right? So we want to showcase all you guys, all the musicians, all the DJs, all the comics, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to do a slice, different slice of Phoenix every night. You know, that's what the Womack's trying to do. And then also, we do cocktails. We're a cocktail lounge, right? So what better way than to sort of team up with uh, local guys doing doing really good work here, Um in the in the valley, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you I went d- on the tour. We did the tour. Yeah. And how fucking awesome! I mean, just that that space is so impressive. And we, I mean, we got the royal treatment, you know, 
we got to talk to Brandt for a long time, and Alejandro took us around and had all these great stories and and really broke the space down. Um, it's just impressive. So I I would just recommend uh, Take folks a tour, go down, go, go down it, and yeah. do the tour. You know, I mean, it's just, down in, in Chandler, four uh, ninety five East Warner Road. Does that's that correct. sound right? Yeah, yeah. four ninety five in, in Chandler. I definitely, highly recommend the tour. I've done it now. I think three or four times. I took you. I took Joey. Yeah, awesome. uh, I wish Joey Joyce was here to hang, and yeah, I'm sure he'd have a thousand questions. But um, yeah, because you're stills. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had no idea you had. You know, wait, you have double pot and column, right? Yeah, like uh, yeah, they, you can do anything. They, they're hybrid stills. They yeah. really are. They like we had we had them made for us. Oh, and wow. I, I just, you know, by the pull of a valve, it's like it's a pot still. So you could I'll do start pull making, of another valve. Make now it's wrong. a column still. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. I've actually uh, oh my. just just ferment, finished fermenting some rum today that I'm going to start distilling in a couple of days once, you know, it crashes out and I can drop all the yeast out of it. Are you doing Brand, molasses or are you doing uh, uh, agricole? Or I'm, I'm doing uh, mostly cane sugar, a little brown sugar, a little molasses. Nice. Um, you have my number, right, for the tasting? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, well, 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 the one, the, bar- the rum we're doing this time around is four barrels, so it's going to hmm. be three, four years before this one's ready. I'll still be um, alive, I, I think. I, I, I have made a couple of batches of white rum oh. that we're... Uh, Pretty much only using at our uh, our two tasting our, room our locations. Yeah, like yeah. they're at the tasting room, mm-hmm. they're at the spirit house, mm-hmm. they're at the pub. Mm-hmm. Um, Great, but other than that, it's not for major distribution. I, just homies, right? I'm just looking just, at just you. Just homies, say, cast club members. Yeah, cast you know, like, club. Yeah, like that's just one of the, one of the things. Gotcha. I'm like, hey, let's see how we could we do this. Love let's, it. let's give this a shot and see how it turns out. What kind of vessel and, do you go into after distillation for rum and for white uh, rum? Are so, you going so glass with, or plastic or something uh, different or? So it's it's glass. It's going to be a glass bottle. Oh, but, but but okay. Uh, do you, um, you well, take it to rest in something first or not? Uh, a from an, an empty fermenter. Empty fermenter, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> so, so stainless got, steel. Yeah, stainless steel. You got a big one right there. <laughs> yeah, don't you? Exactly. A few of them. Yeah, um, got a few of them. Yeah, yeah. Got one that uh, holds my vodka. One that holds my uh, whiskey. One that holds the rum or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got a few few fermenters that are. Do you go right to bottling from that? Uh, filtration and then bottling. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. And what's the filtration system? Um, what, it's it just process? Plate, plate and frame. Okay. Uh, so it's just like a. Uh, DE filters, diastolic earth filters, um, pretty much the same same way they've been filtering beer for decades. Um, yeah, it's pretty much to get any particulate out of it. And, uh, it's not it's it's not a flavor enhancer. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. The the only the only thing I really charcoal filter is my vodka. Oh. Uh, that's for everybody wants clean vodka. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, they don't want cloudy vodka. No. Either. Well. Well, I mean, the Russians do. So, uh, our, our vodka comes like off the still at like uh, almost exactly 190 proof, Ooh. and that's that's the threshold for vodka. Wow. Is it's got to be distilled above 190 proof. So it's like we still have residual sweetness from the malt. Wow! And a couple of, couple of passes through the carbon filter removes some of it, but not all of it. 
So, uh, I mean, I, we've actually had a little bit of backlash. I'm like, oh, my God, your vodka has a little bit of flavor to it. Oh. Like, but, I taste it. But it's, I taste it. It's good. It's, <laughs> it, it's just a little little hint of malty sweetness. Right. What's wrong with that? I mean, it's, it's what it's made out of. It wasn't made out of a flavorless potato. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's, I have it's a problem. Of, I can taste your of, vodka. Yeah, <laughs> it's made out of malted barley. So right. it, a little bit of that flavor yeah. carries over. And, yeah. you know... Every time you redistill it, you you lose, uh, you know, like a good ten percent uh, uh, of off the top. You're like, okay, well, you know, that's still still in the still, and I've got right. the spirit over here, and uh, they could, it'll clean it up a little bit more. But I'm just like, I'm losing volume, losing volume, losing volume. I don't, I don't have the continuous column still absolute as right where it's like, I we're pulling molecules that are pure ethanol off the fucking stuff. Huh. Like, mm-hmm. That that's essentially what they're doing. They're, wow. They 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 can separate it at that level on their continuous Jesus. column stills, and just like pump, pump, pump in in oh their, their mash yeah, yeah. continuously, and it's just just pumping vodka out the wow. other side. Jesus. Like no, I've got to actually distill this three times right before I I have my you know distilled product. I got to do two different low wines run and then. And a, a column run mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually, you know, purify this vodka to where to, to where I can get it to go up to 190 proof. Wow! Mm. Because uh, you know, otherwise, it's just there's too many uh, fatty acids and other congeners in there that are gonna weigh it out, and I'm not gonna get enough out of it. Mm. So I've wow. got I've got a multiple time distill it to get it to where I want it to be. Wow. Is that your range three three four times or? Uh, so right right now I do two different low wine runs and then a stripping run. Mm. And the stripping runs through a uh, sixteen plate still, and uh, essentially each plate is a is a separate distillation hmm. Uh, hmm. because it's 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 a bubbler cap, so it's like it hits this cap, it either turns into water or it stays as hmm. vapor. Mm-hmm. And if it stays if it stays as vapor all the way to the top, where it says it has to be at exactly one hundred seventy two degrees. Well then, it's ethanol. You know, it's mm. like so. That's mm. about as pure as I can get it. Wow. Um, I like if if I did a, a a third low wire run, I might be able to get it up to like one ninety one. You know, it's mm. like wow. it, it's not worth it to me. Right. You know what right. I mean? It, it still it would still have a slight amount of residual flavor. It would still taste almost identical. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Right. But, well, that know. one that one percent difference you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's like what's yeah. The, I, I gotta lose. I gotta lose ten percent of my product for a one percent difference. Right. It's, no. No. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to do it like that. Yeah, um, and that's just what my still desi- is designed to do. Right. Uh, I, I don't have a you know ten story tall still. <laughs> it's pretty. It's still, it's still hey, pretty tall. Something yeah. that, taller than Brian. So yeah, it's, 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 it's only two stories tall. Yeah. It's not ten stories tall. <laughs> something to shoot for. <laughs> Brant, thank, thank you, you so much. Appreciate you, Brad. Thank you, Chef. Appreciate Bradford. it. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thank, thank you, Brad. Chartrand. Yes, sir. Long time coming. Yep. Thank you guys very much for your time. See you November tenth at the Womack. Santan uh, Brewing Distilling is going to be there with they're going to be sharing some spirits and um, Womack is going to be creating a welcome cocktail. Yep, we'll do a cocktail and And, uh, there's going to be live music and and good times. Please join us if you live in the uh, East Valley. You know, check out SantanBrewing.com. Our our uh, warehouse facility, we are now calling Santan Gardens. We've got mm-hmm. a tasting room there. We're doing uh, it's a live music we're doing venue live now events. Yeah, there. We're doing yeah. concerts. We've yeah. actually had uh, 
Jamie Kennedy there. Like we've had oh, comedians nice. there. It's, we've had some pretty pretty cool shows there. It's um, a full service facility. It's a full service facility. Well, yeah. we we don't. We don't have food the majority of the time. Uh, occasionally, for the bigger events, we'll pull food up the truck, food truck, food truck yeah. and uh, you know serve serve our customers that way. But uh, you know, we also have the brew pub downtown and, and, the, the, and, and the, the spirit, spirit house, room. the spirit house, uh, yeah. which I'm which we're going to. Yeah, which, I'm, I'm which looking we, you in we the just heart. found out we're getting another spirit house in the Terminal Three Airport, right across the uh, way from the Santan Brewing in the Terminal Three. No kidding. So yeah, that's because I fly Delta all the time. I always go to that. I always go to the Santan because yeah. I fly Delta Terminal Three. I'm so excited. You just made my night bright. Yeah. So we're <laughs> we're, we're getting a spirit house in there too. So uh, you can get to your. Uh, Sand can cocktails when you're waiting for your flight now. I um, love it. Nice. Love and it. Then I literally little, get to the airport like, like two hours in advance so I yeah. can spend some yeah. time. We've got some great mixologists down there at the Spirit yeah. House that are coming out with some great cocktails all the time. Like always yeah. something different. Like every every week I go in there and I'm like, what do you got for me this week? Like, yeah. <laughs> how, how can you make my booze better today? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, time not that fun. it's not good by itself, but I mean, right. I, right. you got to have fun with it. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I I feel like like I get half my joy out of watching bartenders make creations. Yeah. Out of my base product, like I it's 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 a good time to go places and watch it happen. So. Yeah. It's well, fun to do for sure. Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. We will see you on November tenth. Thank you guys for your time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, I'm gonna enjoy the rest of this butcher so jokes. Come on. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So the story goes